Welcome to Books and Sound. I'm your host, Don Beavers, and this episode contains a digitally remastered theatrical presentation of one of the great works of literature. Please remember to subscribe so that you can enjoy new episodes as they are released. This podcast is provided free and offered without commercial interruption. If you enjoy the episode, please leave us a positive review so that we can grow the podcast. Enjoy. This is the NBC University Theater, bringing you a full-hour dramatization of Jane Austen's distinguished novel, Pride and Prejudice, starring Angela Lansbury as Elizabeth Bennet. Pride and Prejudice was a first novel written by Miss Austen at the age of 21. Today, it's the best known of her works. A delightful romance and a comedy of manners based on provincial family life in England of the late 1700s. The book has been adapted a number of times for stage, screen, and radio, and its popularity in all forms seems to grow with the decades. Today on University Theater, we bring you a new version for radio and an exciting cast headed by Miss Angela Lansbury. Here, then, is Pride and Prejudice. It is about the year 1800. On the continent, Napoleon and his endless wars are creating havoc and confusion. In England, near Hertfordshire, a certain Mrs. Bennet is also creating havoc and confusion. On a smaller scale, perhaps, but nonetheless definitely. Mr. Bennet, as Mrs. Bennet is beginning to suspect, has sought refuge in his library. Ah, there you are, you naughty man. Oh, dear, she's found me at last. What is it, my dear? My dear Mr. Bennet, have you heard that the house at Netherfield Park has been let at last? No, Mrs. Bennet, I have not. Lydia says that Netherfield has been taken by two unmarried young men of large fortunes down from London. A Mr. Bingley and a Mr. Darcy. How lovely. Bingley and Darcy, lovely. How so, my dear? Oh, Mr. Bennet, how can you be so tiresome? Surely you must know that I'm thinking of the young gentleman marrying at least one of our girls. Oh, you mean that is why they've come to settle at Netherfield? If we are clever enough, they may fall in love with Jane or Elizabeth. Lydia being a trifle too young, I fear. So now you must go over at once and bite them a tea, so that we can uh, get acquainted in time for the Meryton Ball. Oh, this is most unreasonable. I've never been introduced. Then you must introduce yourself. There's really nothing to it. Then let me suggest that you go. I will send along a note by your hand, assuring the gentlemen of my hearty consent to their dancing with and marrying whichever they choose of the girls. Though I must throw in a good word for Elizabeth, for she's more quickness than her sisters. You always favor Elizabeth. And you know that she's not half as handsome as Jane, nor half as good-humored as Lydia. Oh, nonsense. If none of them much to recommend them, they are at best three silly girls without husbands. Oh, Mr. Bennett, you have no compassion for my nerves. Come now, quite the contrary, my dear. Your nerves are my old friend. I've heard you mention them with consideration these 20 years at least. Ah, you don't know how I suffer. 
If only you would invite the young gentleman to tea. It would make me so happy. Then our girls could be properly introduced to Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy and could accept them for partners at the Meryton Ball. Oh, Mr. Bennet, what would you say to Elizabeth for Mr. Darcy and Jane for Mr. Bingley? Mama! Oh, there's Jane now. Mama! Have you heard about the news about the Netherfield Hall? Well, not only has your mama heard, Jane, but she's made certain arrangements. Jane, what would you think of attending the Meryton Ball with Mr. Bingley? Oh, I, I doubt very much that the gentleman would include me in his plans without first having met me. Jane, you underestimate your mama. Bingley, a week ago I hardly dreamed that the ball would be graced by your presence. I owe a great deal to your mother, Miss Jane. What a dear, kind, neighborly woman she is. How nice of you to say so, Mr. Bingley. Not at all. I will stand forever in her debt. Uh, had it not been for your mother's genuine neighborly concern and affection, we might never have been uh, properly introduced. Oh, Mr. Bingley. Never have I met more pleasant people in such amiable surroundings. Why, only this morning I said to my friend Darcy... Darcy, I could spend the rest of my life here. And what did Mr. Darcy say? He said, um, hmm. Oh. <laughs> then he went on with his breakfast. Oh. Most unusual man, Darcy. A highly volatile mixture of high ideals and a fearful temper. Really, Mr. Bingley? Most emphatically, Miss Bennett. Uh, Darcy is the best friend and the most unpredictable man I have ever met. And uh, now, Miss Jane... May I have the pleasure of this dance? But, Mr. Bingley, the dance has ended. I am requesting the dance that's about to begin. Two in a row, Mr. Bingley. What will people say? <laughs> they will say that Charles Bingley is the most fortunate man in the room. Oh, oh but who will sit with Mama? My, my dear friend, Mr. Darcy. Even now, he's joined her and your sister Elizabeth near the punch bowl. Mr. Darcy, why are you not dancing? Perhaps Mr. Darcy does not enjoy dancing, Mama. It is my observation, Mrs. Bennet, that much depends upon having the right partner. But of course, Mr. Darcy, everything in the world depends on having the right partner. <laughs> um, quite. Uh, do you like the country better than the city, Mr. Darcy? Uh, I find, I find the city and the country are pretty much the same. They each have their disadvantages, but I dare say I am able to keep myself amused. Well, you should be well amused this evening, Mr. Darcy. You'll notice that the room is filled with accomplished young ladies. Wherever you go in England, you'll always find accomplished young ladies. I'm afraid that I cannot agree with that statement, Mrs. Bennet. Of all the young women I have met, I cannot say that more than half a dozen of them are really accomplished. You must have very high standards, Mr. Darcy. Just what do you require in a woman? The ideal woman, in addition to attractiveness, grace, and charm, should have, I would say, a fluent knowledge of languages both modern and ancient. Oh, dear me. Go on, Mr. Darcy. You I interest me. I should hope that a young lady of accomplishment would have a knowledge of music and drawing. An impressive set of qualifications, Mr. Darcy. But any bright pupil would be quite capable of meeting them. I am not yet finished. Oh, pray continue. I would also desire that she possess a certain something in her air and her manner of walking, the tone of her voice, the manner of speaking, and her smile. How incredible! May heaven save us from such an accomplished creature. 
could hardly be human. I flatter myself that I know at least as many women as you do, Mr. Darcy, and I have never seen such taste and application and elegance as you describe. I am no longer surprised at your knowing only six accomplished women. I rather wonder at you knowing any. If you will excuse me. I see that Mr. Bingley has disengaged himself, and I would like to have a word with him. Oh, well, anyway, Jane danced twice in a row with Mr. Bingley. She's gone out on the balcony now, Mama. I'd like to discover whether Mr. Bingley is as ill-mannered as Mr. Darcy. Jane, are you there, Jane? Oh, Elizabeth, are you alone? Quite. My partner left me suddenly. Oh, Mr. Bingley went to bring me some sherry, and we agreed to meet on the balcony. Mr. Bingley seems most genuinely fond of you, Jane. Yes, I know. Do you care for him? How can I be sure of what I feel for a man whom I've known such a short while? Oh, but truly, Elizabeth, Mr. Bingley is sensible, good-humoured, lively, and I never saw such happy manners and such perfect good breeding. Isn't that Mr. Bingley on the terrace below? Why, so it is. Oh, and I do believe that's Mr. Darcy with him. Upon my word, I detest these stupid affairs. Oh, now, come, Darcy. I must have you dance. Hate to see you standing out here in such a stupid manner. Now, there isn't a woman in the room that wouldn't be punishment for me to stand up with. Oh, that insufferable creature. I would not be as fastidious as you are for a kingdom. Well, you are dancing with the only handsome girl in the room. Oh? How about her sister, Elizabeth? You seem to find each other most stimulating at tea the other day. I suffered Miss Elizabeth company at tea because I was her father's guest. But I find her manner most disconcerting. She has a sharp tongue and a mind prejudiced against men. Dear me, I would say that uh, Miss Elizabeth had uh, quite captured your imagination, Darcy. This uh, couldn't be love, could it? Uh, Hardly. I still pride myself on my own good taste. (laughs) Darcy, you are hopeless. Come along now. I promised a glass of sherry to Miss Jane. Very well. But heaven protect us from her insufferable mother. Uh, Mrs. Bennet has all the natural charms and attractions of a leech. (laughs) What a horrible man. I fear that Mr. Darcy forgot himself. To the contrary, my dear sister. Mr. Darcy was more himself than ever. Oh, but how could he? It doesn't matter, Jane. Now, not a word of this to Mama. Not only would it spoil her evening, it would cast a pall over her breakfast for the next week. Oh, Mr. Bennet, I wish you'd been there to share my happiness. Elizabeth put that horrid Mr. Darcy in his place. And Jane was so admired. Mr. Bingley and Jane danced the first and the third and the fifth. And then came the boulanger. Nothing, Mr. Bennett? No, enough. If Mr. Bingley... Now, how wonderful it would be to have Jane married and settled at Netherfield. Oh, the most commendable dream, my dear. Meanwhile, let us be a little more realistic and hope that you've ordered a good dinner for today. How can you think of dinner at a time like this? I've just had a letter informing me that we may expect a young gentleman for dinner. That is to say, he will dine with us. Why, who do you mean, Mr. Bennett? I mean my cousin, the Reverend Mr. Collins of Hansford. Who, after I'm gone from this earth, will inherit this house and estate? You mean you invited that odious young man? Oh, he invited himself. But why is he coming? Well, his patroness, uh, one Lady Catherine, has suggested that he find someone to share his rectory. Uh, Mr. Collins is coming here in search of a wife. You mean... Why, the dear man! And 
If it should happen that Mr. Collins would marry one of our girls, it would mean that we would not lose the estate. Exactly. Oh, the dear, dear man. Ah, Elizabeth looked most attractive last night. Oh, surely you'd not send Elizabeth off to a rectory. And why not? I would be quite satisfied to see Elizabeth married and established at Huntsford. I think you'd better consider Elizabeth's feelings in that matter. She may not wish to marry. Mr. Bennett, it's every girl's duty to marry. And if Elizabeth cannot see it, I shall make her see it. Well, let us hope so. Mr. Collins can be Elizabeth's partner at Charlotte Lucas's ball at week's end. And if Charlotte Lucas even so much as looks at Mr. Collins, I'll scratch her eyes out. Truly, Charlotte, you ought to be congratulated on a most successful affair. Why, thank you, Elizabeth. And may I say the same to you? I saw you dancing with Mr. Collins, and I must say he was most attentive. He's got his eye on you. Oh, come, Charlotte, don't talk nonsense. Elizabeth, I know the symptoms, and I'll wager that it won't be long before Mr. Collins will be asking for your hand. Now, you're being ridiculous. I hardly know Mr. Collins. Why, he's like a stranger to me. And to me, but so much the better. I'd marry him if he'd ask me. Charlotte. Well, I say that happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance, and I'm willing to take the chance. Well, you can't deny that Mr. Collins certainly is more agreeable than Mr. Darcy. Oh, Charlotte, I beg of you. Mr. Darcy is so disagreeable. Well, despite my sympathy for Elizabeth, I must say that Mr. Darcy's pride does not offend me. How so, Charlotte? Because there's an excuse for it. So very fine a young man should think highly of himself. If I may say so, he has a right to be proud. Well, what you say is true, Charlotte. I could forgive Mr. Darcy's pride easily, if he had not mortified mine. No, enough of Mr. Darcy. Look who's about to join us, Mr. Collins. Ah, good evening, ladies. Ah, dear Mr. Collins. I hope you'll forgive me, but did I not hear you mention the name of Mr. Darcy? But yes, do you know him? Mr. Darcy is the nephew of Mr. Collins' patroness, Lady Catherine. Quite. And as I approached and heard you mention Mr. Darcy's name, I was struck by a most bizarre circumstance. Indeed, Mr. Collins. What was it, if I may ask? Well, as it happens, while you were talking of Mr. Darcy, I happened to look across the ballroom, and there I saw your sister Lydia dancing across the floor in the arms of a gentleman who is said to be Mr. Darcy's arch-enemy. Really? You don't say. Mr. Collins... Do you refer to the officer of the regiment, Mr. George Wickham? Well, uh, it wasn't my intention to identify the gentleman by name, but yes, it was Mr. Wickham. What a most unusual coincidence. Why, do you know Mr. Wickham? No, I've not had the pleasure as yet, for Mr. Wickham has but recently arrived in Hertfordshire. But as it happens, my sister Lydia has been introduced, and she has arranged for me to have the next dance with Mr. Wickham. Mr. Wickham, I hope you will not find me too bold if I ask you a, a most intimate question. Not at all. I admire your candor. Fire away. Do I understand that a certain situation exists between you and Mr. Darcy? Mm. An awkward situation, to say the least. Why do you ask? Because I'm interested in your opinion of him. Believe me, Miss Bennett, when I say that if it were not for Mr. Darcy, I would be a wealthy man today. But I, I stand before you a victim of his awful pride. I am well acquainted with his pride. Pray continue. When my late father passed on, the senior Mr. Darcy undertook to provide for my welfare, 
As a consequence, young Darcy and I were raised as brothers in the same house, and that annoyed young Darcy's pride. But as long as his father lived, he could do nothing. However, after his father died, Darcy revenged his pride by refusing to carry out the provisions of his father's last will and testament. Do I understand, Mr. Wickham, that Darcy refused you that which was rightfully yours? Unfortunately for me, yes. I had been raised for the church, and under the terms of the will, I was to receive a rich parish. But it was never given to me. Oh, I did not suspect that he would descend to such malicious revenge, such injustice, such inhumanity as this. And it makes me even more astonished at his intimacy with Mr. Bingley, who is good humor itself. How Mr. Bingley can tolerate Mr. Darcy? I would say that it is most likely that Mr. Darcy completely dominates Mr. Bingley. They are giving a ball next fortnight at their new house in Netherfield. I do hope, Mr. Wickham, that you will be present. To the present time, I have not been invited. But even if I were, I, I would doubt my acceptance. But you will surely be there? Well, I'm committed to attend with a certain Mr. Collins. Oh, 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 no, not Mr. Collins. Not for you, dear lady. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. I say, Miss Elizabeth, are you enjoying yourself? Oh, very much, Mr. Collins. Lady Catherine has said to me many times, Mr. Collins, make sure that your partner enjoys herself. She's a very wise woman. I have no doubt. Quite. One, two, three, four. One, two. Dear me, look there. Is that Lady Catherine's nephew standing all alone in the corner? Are you referring to Mr. Darcy? But of course. It is Mr. Darcy and no partner. What would Lady Catherine say? Come along, Miss Elizabeth. We will remedy that immediately. Oh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Collins. What is your intent? Why, Mr. Collins, not even for Lady Catherine would I consent to dance. Mr. Collins is quite loyal to Lady Catherine, Mr. Darcy. Quite. Netherfield is a very interesting house. Do you not think so, Mr. Darcy? Uh, yes, very. It's a nice dance. Is it not, Mr. Darcy? I find it so. <laughs> Truly, I don't think there are two people who have less to say to each other. Oh, I don't know about that. Would you like to talk about books? I don't think so, for I fear that we would not have the same tastes. Why don't we try something that interests us both? Very well. Suppose you'll start. Let us talk of pride. Can you define it, Mr. Darcy? Yes. Pride is strength and character. By example, there is pride of family, pride of home, and pride of self. I would make a virtue of pride. I fear that you have made it your fault. Oh, I did not know that you were a studier of character. You must find it very dull in the country. Oh, no, not at all. All sorts of people come through. For example, you and Mr. Bingley. You are given to melancholy while he is pleasant, cheerful, and considerate. Well put, Miss Bennett. But the trouble with Bingley is that he fancies himself in love. Well, I trust you had a delightful dance, Mr. Darcy. Quite, and most instructive. Oh, yes. We discussed vanity, pride, and we almost discussed love. Ooh. Do you believe in love, Mr. Darcy? Yes, I do. But fancying oneself in love is something else again. Well spoken, sir. But how is one to know true love from false? The only manner in which two people can determine the degree of their mutual affection is through the exchange of confidences. 
a procedure hardly suited to a ballroom. I'm inclined to agree with you, Mr. Darcy. I must say that I've always fancied the ideal situation for confessions of affection to be a garden. Oh, Miss Elizabeth! Oh, dear, she must be somewhere in this garden. Oh, Miss Elizabeth! Where are you? I'm over here behind the box hedge. Just follow the path. Good morning, Mr. Collins. Good morning, Miss Elizabeth. I regret the intrusion upon the privacy of your garden in this fashion, but I trust you will forgive me when I explain my purpose in coming here. Indeed, Mr. Collins. You seem quite distressed. Is there something wrong? Oh, no, no, no. To the contrary, I'm beside myself with joy. Your mother has given me her permission. Miss Elizabeth, since almost the first moment I entered your father's house, I singled you out as the companion of my future life. Mr. Collins. You have only to say that you'll be mine. Then all that will remain will be for me to assure you in the most animated language of the violence of my affection. And and then we can be married. Oh, you are too hasty, sir. Please accept my thanks for the compliment you are paying me. But I cannot do otherwise than decline. Oh, how modest you are. But I've heard how you ladies decline when secretly you mean to accept. <laughs> Upon my word, sir, I assure you I decline. You could not make me happy, and I am convinced that I am the last woman in the world who would make you so. I cannot believe that, Miss Elizabeth. In the first place, it would be to your advantage to marry me, for someday I will inherit this very house. And because you cannot have a very large dowry, it is very unlikely that another offer of marriage will ever be made to you. Mr. Collins, I appreciate your consideration for my poor position in the world, but I cannot marry you. Now will you please leave... Come here, Elizabeth Child. I understand that Mr. Collins has made an offer of marriage. You've refused. Is that true? Yes, Father. Oh, you ungrateful girl. Now, Elizabeth, we must come to the point. Your mother insists upon your accepting. Is that not so, Mrs. Bennett? Yes, or I will never see her again. Well, an unhappy alternative before you, Elizabeth. From this day on, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Or your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins. And I never see you again if you do. (laughs) Oh, Jane, how wonderful a father. I can just see the look on Mother's face. Not so loud, Lydia. Elizabeth said that Mother was furious. I wonder how she'll ever explain to Mr. Collins. <laughs> I'm sure I don't know. But it was enough to send him running directly over to Charlotte Lucas. Oh. <laughs> Poor girl. Charlotte deserves something better than that. Well, at least it saved the day for Elizabeth. You're the fortunate one, Jane. Oh. That handsome Mr. Bingley. Come in. Oh, Elizabeth. We were just talking about you. Yes. Do come in and tell us more about Mr. Collins. There will be time for that another day. Oh, Elizabeth. What is the matter? Did Mr. Collins upset you? No, no, it isn't that. Then what is it, for heaven's sake? You're you're white and, and trembling. I'm sorry. It wasn't my intention to cause distress. But we have received a note from Netherfield Park. 
Is it from Mr. Bingley? No. Mr. Darcy, then. What is this all about, Elizabeth? Well, it is. It concerns them both, and would that I did not need to tell you. Is it bad news, then? Well, Elizabeth, you must tell us. I really find difficulty in making up my mind whether it is good or bad. Mr. Darcy has just left for London. Is that all? I say good riddance. Is Mr. Bingley going to stay on alone in the house? I'm afraid not, Jane. They have closed up the house. How very unusual. Where will Mr. Bingley stay? Mr. Bingley is gone too, Jane. According to the note, Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy have left Netherfield for good. Oh, no. Lydia, catch her before she falls. Oh, give me the smelling salts, Lydia. They're on the chest. Charles. Charles. Here you are. Now, try to breathe deeply, Jane. That's better. You'll be all right. Now, try it again. Charles. How could you leave me? It is not Mr. Bingley who has done this, sister. I fear that he is under the influence of another. Perhaps he never loved me. Dear Jane. Dear Charles. I must do my best to forget him. But he will live in my memory as the most amiable man of my acquaintance. I have nothing to reproach him with. Oh, Jane... Would that I could speak as kindly of the man whose terrible pride has caused your unhappiness. I take consolation in the knowledge that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. From Hollywood, the NBC University Theater is bringing you Angela Lansbury in a radio version of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. This play is the third in a new series devoted to the classic novels of Anglo-American literature. If you're interested in supplementing your enjoyment of these productions with home study under college supervision, be sure to listen to the announcement at the close of this program. And now, our intermission commentator, the popular and prolific novelist I.A.R. Wiley. Speaking from New York, here is I.A.R. Wiley. Two well-known British authors, Sheila K. Smith and G.B. Stern, once collaborated on a highly entertaining book called Speaking of Jane Austen, in which they described themselves as Janeites, or in other words, Jane Austen fans. The world is full of them. Every day, new members add themselves to the fraternity. For the amazing thing is that whereas other writers of her period grow dustier and more dated with the passing of time, Jane's stories seem to take on a richer sheen, to become more sparkling, more vital, and more utterly delightful. I think one reason is that without knowing it, she was a born and most brilliant storyteller. Somerset Morn said in a recent interview, I am quoting roughly from memory, that he turned the pages of her novels in breathless excitement, even though he knew that what was going to happen didn't amount to a storm in a teacup. To this day, though I have read Pride and Prejudice a dozen times, I still have heart flutterings over the vicissitudes of Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy's stately, if somewhat peppery, love affair. I still chuckle, surprised, delighted chuckles, at Jane's sly digs, at the pomposities, snobberies, and follies of her time and class. She accepted them as part of her own background, but she stood back a little from them, and her eyes twinkled demurely 
and she laughed mischievously to herself. She makes us laugh with her, sometimes explosively, in sheer surprise at the keenness of her thrusts, but they are never angry or malicious thrusts. Another reason for Jane's enduring greatness is that she never attempted anything that was too big for her. She lived in the Napoleonic era when her country was once more fighting tyranny for its freedom, but she makes only the most indirect reference to the war or to the social problems and evils of her time. She was not, however, a modern escapist. She simply confined herself to a world she knew, which was a very real one. The life of middle-class and upper-class England, for all its limitations, had grace and dignity and charm and even strength. She painted its portrait. She called herself a miniaturist. She was more like an etcher, whose acid drew in sharp, deep, clean lines. Her people are real people, and in spite of change in manners and customs and costumes, they are still real. Now you are meeting some of them, the proud Mr. Dorsey, the gay, vivacious Elizabeth Bennet, no drooping Victorian willow she, the pompous Mr. Collins, the absurd Mrs. Bennet, the much-enduring Mr. Bennet. If this brief encounter doesn't lure you on to discover the whole story with its mischievous wit and restrained but real romance, and if you are not by then a full-fledged Janeite, well, the loss is all yours. Thank you, Miss Wiley. Our radio version of Pride and Prejudice, starring Miss Angela Lansbury as Elizabeth Bennett, will continue from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification. So you have. Is there no good news from Jane in London? None. The poor girl writes that she sits waiting still in Aunt Gardner's parlour, hoping in vain that Mr. Bingley will call on her. It is very sad indeed. My only comfort is that Jane will die of a broken heart. Oh. And then Mr. Bingley will be sorry for what he's done. It's a cheering thought, I must say. What about Elizabeth? What does she write? Only a note. She's still with Charlotte and Mr. Collins in Hunsford. Truly, I... I cannot bring myself to understand how Elizabeth was able to accept Charlotte's invitation after what happened between Elizabeth and Mr. Collins. Oh, nonsense. Elizabeth needed a change of scenery, and she was probably thankful for Charlotte's offer. Now, what does Elizabeth write? She says in her letter that she and Charlotte and Mr. Collins are spending this evening with his patroness, Lady Catherine. It seems that her nephew, that horrid Mr. Darcy, is visiting at Hunsford, and Lady Catherine has arranged a dinner... Think of it, Mr. Bennett. Our Elizabeth dining with Lady Catherine de Burr. I must congratulate you, Miss Bennett. I've tried for months to get my nephew, Mr. Darcy, to visit us here. But I was never successful until I mentioned, quite by accident, that you were visiting the Collins. My dear aunt, I have always visited you at regular intervals. Whatever brought you both here, it is good fortune for all of us. Indeed, Mr. Collins. Uh, Miss Bennet, your father's estate is entailed on Mr. Collins, I think. Uh, hardly something we think of now, Lady Catherine. It is something I choose to think of, Charlotte. Uh, Miss Bennet, do you play and sing? A little. 
Some time or other, we shall be happy to hear you. Do you draw? No, not at all. That is very strange. Has your governess left you? We never had any governess. How was that possible? Five daughters brought up at home without a governess? You must have been neglected. Are any of your younger sisters out, Miss Bennett? Yes, ma'am. All. All? All five out at once? Very odd. The younger one's out before the elder are married. The youngest is not yet 16, Lady Catherine. I think it would be very hard upon the younger sisters that they should not have their share of society and amusement because the elder may not have the means or inclination to marry early. Upon my word, you give your opinion very decidedly for so young a person. I'm sure my daughter would never put herself forward in such a manner. Oh, no, Mama. It gives me pleasure to look forward to the happy future of my daughter and of my favorite nephew, Mr. Darcy. Uh, Lady Catherine, I... From their infancy, they have been intended for each other, while in their cradles we planned the union. <laughs> well, let us repair to the drawing room. I think it would be pleasant if Anne played for us for a while. Yes, Mama. Mr. Darcy. Oh. oh, Miss Elizabeth, what an unexpected pleasure finding you out here. Really, Mr. Darcy? How so? I understood that you were very fond of piano music. And I understood that you were very fond of the pianist. Miss Anne is my cousin. I am fond of all my cousins. We are a very loyal family, Miss Bennet. How touching. Then why are you not inside in demonstration of your loyalty? <laughs> I fear that I am not the social type. Hardly. From what I observed of your behavior at the Meryton Ball. With your outlook, dear lady, you should live in London. Have you ever been there? Oh, yes. I have visited London many times. My sister Jane is in the city now. Have you never happened to see her? I'm afraid I haven't. Nor had Mr. Bingley seen Jane either, I dare say. I do not believe Mr. Bingley has seen Jane since he decided to take leave of Netherfield. Say what you mean, sir, since you persuaded him to leave Netherfield. I beg your pardon. Do not be devious. Mr. Darcy, you cannot hope to deny that you kept Mr. Bingley from Jane. I have no wish to deny anything. I did everything in my power to separate my friend from your sister. How could you? Because Bingley was overpowered with love. Acting in what I believe to be Bingley's best interests, I persuaded him to go to London. And what of my sister Jane, whose heart is broken? Let it be mended. Tell her that Bingley was quite madly in love with her and would have asked her hand in marriage had I not interfered. It is too late for such remedies. Jane suffers now because she believes that she loved Bingley and he loves her not. I must keep silent forever and pray that Bingley will not be allowed to return, free from your interference. Believe me, Miss Bennet, I know the sorrows of separation. I have been kinder towards my friend than I have been to myself. For now I know what Bingley suffered when he was overcome with love. Miss Elizabeth, in vain I have struggled, but my feelings will not be repressed. Mr. Darcy, I pray you consider the import of your sentiments. I am most painfully aware. For weeks and months I have wrestled with myself against all my better judgment and reason, but it will not do. I am quite overcome. Mr. Darcy, what are you trying to say? My dear Miss Elizabeth, you must allow me to tell you how 
ardently I admire and love you. My astonishment is beyond expression, sir. I had rather imagined that it would come as a complete surprise, but I trust that the distress caused by my declaration of affection will be outweighed by the pleasant prospects of a life together. Oh, you insufferable man. I beg your pardon. Listen to you. How can you always be so sure of Darcy, so superior, so convinced in the pride of yourself that you cannot see Darcy except as a prize for which any girl should be properly thankful? Miss Elizabeth, I did not say that. There was no need. Your manner was enough, sir. It is customary, I believe, at such times as these for the young lady to express certain sentiments of gratitude for the honor offered. But I cannot... I have never desired your good opinion, and you certainly have bestowed it most unwillingly. And this is all the reply which I am to have the honor of expecting? You impossible man. You choose to tell me that you like me, but protest that your affections are against your better feelings, and yet you wonder why you were rejected. But even so, had you not prejudiced my own feelings against you, I could not be tempted to accept the man who has behaved in such a manner towards my sister Jane. And towards young Mr. Wickham. Wickham got exactly what he deserved. He claims to the contrary, that he did not get that which your father assigned to him in the will. Wickham did not carry out the requirements stated in that will. Mr. Wickham does not explain it that way. I cannot concern myself with Mr. Wickham's explanations. Miss Bennet, in, in every instance I have been completely honest with you. But because I did not choose lies and flattery and spoke honestly, you became furious. Mr. Darcy... Let us understand each other. I did not refuse you because of your manner of speaking. From the very first time we met, you have impressed me with your arrogance, your conceit, and your selfish disdain of the feelings of others. You could not have made me an offer of your hand in any possible way that would have tempted me to accept it. I had not known you an evening before I felt that you were the last man in the world whom I could be prevailed upon to marry. You have said quite enough. You have made yourself perfectly clear... Forgive me for having taken up so much of your time. I shall return first thing in the morning to London, where I shall stay out the season. Forgive me if my presence has interfered with your visit with your aunt and her plans for your marriage to Miss Anne. My intention is to leave in the morning for Hertfordshire. Truly, Elizabeth, I do not understand you. Home for only three weeks, and now you're packing to be off again. Hand me my bandbox like a good sister, will you? Here you are. Thank you. Well, they say that travel provides new interests, and if Uncle and Aunt Gardner are kind enough to invite me to travel with them through Derbyshire, I shall be most happy to go along. But it will be so dull here without you. Well, then why don't you persuade Papa to let you go with Lydia to Brighton when she visits Colonel Forster and his lady? That would please Lydia, I dare say. But I have no desire to be left sitting with Mrs. Forster for hours on end while Lydia devotes all her time to Wickham. Dear Lydia, I hope she doesn't become too fond of Mr. Wickham. Why do you say that? Do you know something about him? Well, not exactly. It's, it's just that I have a feeling that we should know something more about him. Oh, but enough of why. If you'll be so good as to help me with this portmanteau, I can finish my packing. Truly, Elizabeth, the way you've taken to running about in such a restless fashion, a person would almost think that you were in love.
Driver! Driver! Will you stop here a moment, please? Surely this is not your estate, Uncle. No, my dear. But uh, would you not like to see the inside of this place of which you have heard so much? And have I heard so much of this? This, my dear, is Pemberley. Pemberley. But that is where... It is the family home of Mr. Darcy. Uh, Driver! We'll go inside. Oh, 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 but truly, I've become tired of great houses. We've seen so many. I have no pleasure in I seeing I inquired our... last evening at the Lambton Inn, and I was assured that the owner of Pemberley is away, and the house is open to visitors. And now, if you would like to step this way, please. I'll show you the old master's bedroom. Uh, by all means. Come along, ladies. I told you it was a most admirable house, Elizabeth. Wouldn't you like to be the mistress here? It would depend on the master. Now, this room here belonged to Mr. Darcy's father. And a fine, generous man he was. It is much to your credit to speak so well of your master. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. But I say no more than the truth. And as for his son... The young Mr. Darcy. What a sweet-natured man he is. You'll forgive me for saying so, but it was my understanding that uh, young Mr. Darcy was very, very proud, shall we say? <laughs> there are those who say so. But I think they do not know his true character. I have known him since he was four years old, and I have never had a cross word from him in my life. Well spoken, madam. You are a most admirable servant. Thank you, sir. And now, if you'll follow me through this door, we will come to the private terrace. Ah, now, that is something that interests me. Come along, Elizabeth. Coming on. Oh, Mrs. Bennet will die of envy when she hears of this visit. Miss Elizabeth. What? Mr. Darcy? Yes. But I, I did not expect to find you here. At the inn, they said that you were in London. And so I was, but I came back a day early. I did not mean to come upon you in this unmannerly fashion. I fear Mrs. Reynolds would have been quite embarrassed if she had known you were listening. Mrs. Reynolds is a dear soul. Yes, she speaks quite well of you. Oh, you sound surprised. Is there any reason why I should not be spoken of well? By your own servants? Not at all. I assume you pay them wages. Miss Elizabeth, I pray you, do not let us go on in this fashion. There are many things which I must say to you. May I call on you tomorrow at the Lambton Inn? I truly don't think you should, Mr. Darcy. But I will be at the inn at tea time. And that night at Lady Catherine's, I could not answer your accusations because I was not then master enough of myself to know what could or ought to be revealed. Do you understand? Pray continue, sir. In connection with Mr. Wickham, I can only explain by telling the truth, which I have preferred to conceal. Concealment of the truth is hardly a mark of honesty. Oh, please hear me out. My father's will stated that Wickham would receive a comfortable living if he joined the clergy. However... Mr. Wickham had no desire to enter the church. So we agreed that instead of the clergyman's living, I would give him 3,000 pounds, which I paid into his hand. And in turn, he released me from the provisions of my father's will. 
Well, that seems like a most reasonable contract. Yet it does not explain Mr. Wickham's bitterness. There must have been something more. Indeed, there is. Wickham attempted a secret marriage with my sister, a girl of 15. Oh. Unfortunately, I found out in time. Had he succeeded, he would have come into her fortune of 30,000 pounds. Now, perhaps you can understand Mr. Wickham's bitterness. Mr. Darcy, you will understand it if I tell you that your statements are confusing to my heart and to my mind. I fear that I have been most unjust. Then you do believe me, Miss Elizabeth? I would like very much to believe you, Mr. Darcy. You're coming here today. Your sincerity of manner when you related these obviously painful stories would not allow me to come to any other conclusion. You are most kind. You will excuse me, sir, but there is someone at the door. A letter for Miss Bennett. It's marked urgent, miss. Thank you very much. It's a note for my father. Would you excuse me if I read it now? Oh, please do, dear lady. I am writing to inform you that a tragedy has befallen our family. And none of us were more surprised than you will be when I tell you that Lydia has run off with Mr. Wickham. Oh, oh no. Insofar as we know, they are in an unmarried state and they are journeying in the direction of London. I would appreciate your returning at once for all this confusion here and I must leave for London immediately. Oh dear. Come home, Elizabeth? Yes, Mama. Oh, Elizabeth, you cannot know what I've been through. Oh, dear Mama, you must be calm and patient. All we can do is hope and pray for good news tomorrow. That's what Jane said yesterday. To think that I should be burdened with undutiful children. Mama, you must gain control of your emotions. Good news may come in the next post. I saw what came in the last post. A letter from that awful Mr. Collins. Read it for yourself, Elizabeth. <laughs> I feel called upon to condole with you on the grievous affliction you are now suffering under. The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison. And I am joined in this thought not only by Mrs. Collins, but by Lady Catherine and her daughter, to whom I have related the affair. It is most unfortunate, for, as Lady Catherine condescendingly said, who will connect themselves with such a family? that appalling man. Mr. Collins speaks the truth. Who will ever marry you, Elizabeth, or Jane, now that Lydia has disgraced our family? Please, Mama, I'm sure that I would not want to marry a man whose pride was so weak that it could not withstand the consequences of Lydia's caprice. Meanwhile, we must be brave and wait for the news from Papa in London. London, August 10. I am sorry to report that the events here offer no encouragement. Lydia and Wickham seem to have vanished into thin air. If I do not find them within the week, I shall return home reconciled to the thought that I have done my best and failed. Mr. Bennett ever finds Wickham. I'm sure they will fight a duel. 
Mr. Bennett will be killed, and then that awful Mr. Collins will come and turn us out of our very house. My dearest wife and family, put your worries at an end. Nader and Wickham have been found. They will be married this very day, and God willing, they should arrive home shortly after this letter reaches your hand. Lydia, my baby. And Mr. Wickham, too. How do you do, Mother? Oh. And dear Jane. And dear Elizabeth. Come close and look at me. Well, how do you like your married sister? Married? Oh, congratulations, Lydia. I, I'm sure that you and Mr. Wickham will prove worthy of each other. Truly, you look very happy, Lydia. It's so good to be home with my own little family. And now that I'm married, I'm going to try ever so hard to find you both husbands. That's very kind of you, Lydia, but I prefer my own methods. La, have it your own way. But as much as I would like to stay and chaperone you and Jane, I cannot. For Wickham and I are going away. What? My little girl going away again? Yes. Wickham must be off to join a new regiment in the north. Oh, dear, how sad. To the country, Mama. How wonderful. We thought Wickham would hardly ever be able to get another post at all, what with all the gambling debts that had to be paid before we could leave London. Is this so, Mr. Wickham? As it happens, yes. I never dreamed in all my life there could be so many debts. But fortunately, we were rescued. Hmm, poor Papa. I do hope you appreciated all that he did for you, Lydia. Oh, but it wasn't Papa who rescued us. It was Mr. Darcy. What did you say? Didn't Papa write you? Every cent of Mr. Wickham's debts were paid off by Mr. Darcy. Oh, Elizabeth. This whole house has become as melancholy as the musical playing. Sometimes I wish Lydia were back among us. Oh, Papa... I rather imagine you do, Miss Lydia. No, no, not really. Or am I too sympathetic to Jane? She is most unhappy, Father. Jane's been crossed in love, but I congratulate her. Next to being married, a girl should like to be crossed in love a little now and then. Something to think of. Gives a sort of distinction among her companions. I hope your turn will come soon. It has not come already. At any rate, it's very gloomy here. Lizzie! Lizzie, are you there? I'm right here, Mother. Oh, well, thank goodness for that. We have a very distinguished guest. Oh, no, not another one. It's Lady Catherine de Burr. Lady Catherine? Here? Of course, here, in the garden. But but why should she be calling on us? She wants to see you, Elizabeth. I can't understand why, but she's insisted on seeing you alone in the garden. Well, hurry now. Don't keep Lady Catherine waiting. What do I owe the honor of your presence here? Miss Bennett, a report of a most alarming nature reached me several days ago. I was told that not only was your sister Jane on the point of being most advantageously married to Mr. Bingley, but that you, Miss Elizabeth, would in all likelihood be united to my nephew, Mr. Darcy. I am astonished at this, Lady Catherine. Why, the gentlemen of whom you speak, are they not even in the neighborhood? If not, they will be shortly, but that is hardly the issue. 
Do you not know that such a report is spread abroad? I never heard that it was. And can you likewise declare that there is no foundation for it? I do not pretend to possess equal frankness with your ladyship. You may ask questions which I shall not choose to answer. I insist on being satisfied. Has my nephew made you an offer of marriage? Such behavior as yours will never induce me to be explicit. Let me be rightly understood. This match can never take place. Mr. Darcy is engaged to my daughter. Now, what have you to say? Only this, that if he is so, you can have no reason to suppose that he will make an offer to me. Miss Bennet, I am not in the habit of brooking disappointment. That will make your ladyship's situation at present more pitiable. But it will have no effect on me. My daughter and nephew are formed for each other. They are descended on the maternal side from the same noble line, and on the father's from respectable, honorable, and ancient, though untitled, families. Mr. Darcy is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far we are equal. Tell me, once and for all, are you engaged to him? No. No, I'm not. Oh, and... Will you promise me never to enter into such an engagement? I will promise only to act in that manner which will, in my own opinion, constitute my happiness, without reference to you or to any person so wholly unconnected with me. Then you are determined to ruin Mr. Darcy in the opinion of all his friends. You have insulted me in every possible method, Lady Catherine. I must beg to return to the house. Oh, obstinate, headstrong girl. <laughs> Well, and so Mr. Bingley is coming down again. Not that I care, though. He's nothing to us, you know. However, he's very welcome to come to Netherfield, if he likes it. No, 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 Mrs. Bennet. You forced me into visiting Mr. Bingley last year. You promised if I went to see him, he'd marry one of my daughters. It ended in nothing. I'll not be sent on a fool's errand again. Bennett, the kind invitation your husband is most usually welcome. I, I had an overwhelming desire to visit your house again. An ambition which I must confess to share. <laughs> oh, Mr. Bingley, you are a dear man. But it really was very naughty of you to stay away so long. I do hope that you and your family will forgive me. Oh, all of you must forgive Mr. Bingley. He was held in London by forces over which he had no control. It is enough that he's been returned to us by these same forces. I am most happy to have Mr. Bingley back with us again. Dearest Jane. There have been so many changes, Mr. Bingley. My daughter Lydia made a delightful match with Mr. Wickham. Oh. A charming young man. They've gone to the north. I, uh, I take it then, Mrs. Bennet, that uh, you prefer your daughter's husbands to uh, locate near at hand. But of course. I don't know what my girls would do without me if they were far away. Poor Lydia. Uh, how, how would you feel about the distance, uh, let us say from here to Netherfield, Mrs. Bennet? What are you trying to say? Elizabeth, Mr. Darcy. While Mr. Bingley is discovering what he is trying to say, would it not be best if you and I inspected the garden? Dear Mr. Darcy, what a romantic notion. I am so very happy to see Jane and Mr. Bingley together again, Mr. Darcy. 
They are truly in love. Yes, I have known from the moment when you first told me at Hunsford. And so, knowing I was wrong, I went to Bingley and confessed that I had interfered. You told Mr. Bingley that you had kept him from Jane? I held nothing back. I told him all. Knowing your nature, it must have been very difficult for you. Apologies are never easy. But, Miss Elizabeth, there are others as well who have waited long for happiness, only to fail because of their faults. Uh, tell me truly, are your feelings still what they were when I spoke to you at Hunsford? I would feel more sure of my answer if I had some assurance on your part that you were truly sympathetic. Then let me say that I love you and wish to marry you. Oh, then believe me, sir, when I tell you that my sentiments are very much changed in your favor since that night I cast you off. Oh, Miss Elizabeth, can you say this after my unpardonably conceited and prideful behavior? How can I find fault with you when it was I who opposed your pride with blind prejudice? No, I came to you proud, defiant, without a doubt of my reception. I, I was sure that you would take me as I had been sure that any other woman would have had me. But you showed me how insufficient I was to please a woman worthy of being pleased. Elizabeth. Dearest Darcy, the time has come to put the past behind us. Now let us look to the future and think only of the past as its remembrance gives us pleasure. have been listening to Pride and Prejudice, an NBC University Theater production of the Jane Austen novel starring Angela Lansbury as Elizabeth Bennet. Next week at the same time, we will bring you another classic of Anglo-American literature, The Heart of Midlothian by Sir Walter Scott. The present semester of the NBC University Theater is devoted to the classics of Anglo-American literature from the time of Henry Fielding to that of Henry James. If you wish, you may learn more about these authors and their works by enrolling in the college-supervised courses now being offered in connection with the NBC University Theater. The University of Tulsa in Oklahoma, Kansas State Teachers College in Kansas, and Washington State College in the West have now completed their plans for offering such a course in the coming months, thus joining the University of Louisville, whose established home study plan is already serving listeners in another area of the nation. For information, then, as to how you may enhance your knowledge through these courses, write to the NBC University Theater in care of the University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, Washington State College, Pullman, Washington, Kansas State Teachers College at Pittsburgh, Kansas, or the University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Pride and Prejudice was adapted for radio by Richard E. Davis. Our intermission commentator was the distinguished novelist I.A.R. Wiley. The intriguing Miss Elizabeth Bennett was portrayed by Angela Lansbury, who appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture The Sun Comes Up, starring Jeanette McDonald, Lloyd Nolan, Claude Jarman, Jr., and Lassie. Our cast included Norma Varden, Leslie Dennison, Constance Cavendish, Tom McKee, Ben Wright... Naomi Stevens, Evan Thomas, Philip Friend, Grace Stafford, 
Alma Lawton, Gloria Ann Simpson, Ina Ronsley. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The original musical score was composed and conducted by Dr. Albert Harris. The director of the University Theater is Andrew C. Love. 